0: Today, we begin a series we're calling A Resilient Life, based off the life of Daniel in the Old Testament. And we'll start today by looking at the beginning of the account of this remarkable man. And what I wanna start with is this, uh, Daniel never expected to end up in Babylon. And I wanna ask you at the beginning of this study to try to picture Daniel in your mind. He was one of the brightest and best of Israel. We know a fair amount about what he was like from chapter one, verses three and four. Uh, He was from a family of high social status. Uh, He was physically flawless. Uh, He was a strikingly handsome man. Uh, If my wife were teaching this message, she would tell you to picture Idris Elba. Uh, Although I think Idris Elba is shorter than me. Uh, He's much shorter than he appears on screen. Uh, And he's older than me. Uh, He's a month older, but he looks a lot older than that. Uh, They're able to do quite a bit with makeup in Hollywood, you know? (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't be talking about looking older when I have a white beard. Uh, Anyway, picture someone who looks like Idris Elba, but only more handsome and less average. (laughs) Daniel was bright. He was quick to understand. It says that he was qualified to serve in the king's palace, which means he had a high level of emotional and relational intelligence. He was good with people. He was devoted to God and God's community, and he would have had all the dreams that young men like that have. Back in Judah, his future would have been quite predictable. Uh, the, The whole world was in front of him. Uh, He would go to a great school and then on to amazing success in whatever field he chose, have a great marriage, live in an enviable home, raise a wonderful family, occupy a prominent place in the temple. He would do great things for God and for God's people. But life didn't turn out the way he planned. There's a whole world of heartbreak in the first verse of the book of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The heartbreak is this. God made a promise long before this to Abraham. I'll be your God and your people will be my people and I'll give you the promised land and I'll make you a great nation that will bless the world. That promise had sustained the people of Israel for century after century. That's all they had. The community of God's people had a lot of ups and downs through the years. Uh, They were in slavery in Egypt for many centuries. They were delivered under Moses. Uh, They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, They went into the promised land. And after a period of time, they reached their peak under David and Solomon. And Solomon built this glorious temple. And then there was this long, slow decline. Uh, The kingdom was divided into a a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, Israel, which was destroyed. And then all that was left was the northern kingdom called Judah. And then when Daniel was a young man, Nebuchadnezzar comes and with very little effort destroys all that's left of God's dream. The temple is a memory. The sacred contents of that temple were now preserved in the temple of pagan gods daniel would come to adulthood and spend his life in a foreign land he would give his best service to an alien king he lost his culture he lost the relationships that he cherished Uh, he would have to speak a foreign language Uh, he would live and die in a place he never wanted to be he would never go home he even loses his name and his name was quite significant verse 7 says that daniel and his three friends are each given new names. Each of their old names, their Hebrew names, had a reference to God in it. Either the little syllable L, like Daniel or Mishael from Elohim, or the syllable Yah, uh, Hananiah or Azariah uh, from Yahweh. Their names reminded them that they belonged to God. And the new name that Nebuchadnezzar gave was a way of saying, you have a new king now give yourself to me, allow Babylon to define your identity. The name Daniel meant the Lord will judge. It's a great name, the Lord will be my judge. You see throughout his whole life, every time Daniel had heard his name spoken, it was a reminder, the Lord will set things right. The Lord will see that justice is done. His very name had been a promise uh, every time he heard it, every day of his life, but now, He's not Daniel anymore. The Lord was not setting things right. In fact, it looked like the whole promise was shattered. So what do you do when you end up in Babylon? Because you will. Babylon is where you find yourself when life doesn't turn out the way you planned. Maybe it happens when a relationship or even a marriage that you had dreams for ends. Maybe it happens when your greatest vocational hopes die. Maybe it happens when someone you know and love wounds you deeply. Maybe it happens when you realize your health is failing. Maybe it's when you realize a deep prayer that you've prayed will never be answered the way that you want it to be answered. You find yourself in Babylon, cut off from the life that you wanted and planned on, and you may never get home. And worst of all, you wonder if God even knows, like how could God let this happen? Has he forgotten his promise? Does he even notice? What do you do when you find yourself like Daniel in Babylon? There's a whole field of uh, research in the social sciences that involves a, a study of people who experience suffering or major crisis or trauma. Uh, survivors of World War II prisoner camps, uh, POWs from the Korean War who went through brainwashing attempts, uh, people who've been in hostage situations, uh, people who have traumatic accidents, uh, people who grew up in Fresno. (laughs) All right, I'm just kidding, I made that last one up. Uh, Many, as you might expect, just get defeated by Babylon they end up in the place where they don't wanna be and they experience a loss of hope or resignation or isolation or defeat or withdrawal. However, there are some, usually a minority, who face these very traumatic situations and are characterized by what researchers in this field call resilience, a resilient spirit. They experience in the face of tremendous challenge and even trauma and pain, a fierce sense of independence, a, a resolution inside of them that says, "I will not give up," and they find themselves continually exploring creative solutions, and they they move toward action. And if one thing doesn't work, then they try to find another. And they find them. They find within themselves, as Viktor Frankl, a survivor of World War II concentration camps, talks about an attitude and a spirit that says, no matter what my captors might take away from me, they cannot take away my own attitude, the posture of my own heart. And because of this, they actually enlarge their capacity to handle problems. So that in the midst of this very difficult situation, they not only survive, they grow, they deepen. Now what's the difference? Why is it that some people face Babylon and are defeated, and others face it and are challenged and even in a sense exhilarated and grow stronger? Well, they find that there are certain common characteristics or qualities of spirit that tend to mark resilient people. And when we look at Daniel, we find one of the most spiritually resilient persons in human history. At the beginning of his life, as we've seen, he lost everything. Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. Yet with God's help in Babylon, Daniel learned not just to survive, but to thrive. So today I want to walk through our introduction to Daniel in chapter one and help us understand why it's worth devoting the next couple months to studying this remarkable man. And I wanna stop along the way and point out some of the characteristics that make up a resilient spirit. And the first characteristic we see is in verse eight, and it's this, spiritually resilient people resolve to honor their deepest values. Spiritually resilient people resolve, they make a deep decision to honor their deepest values. They refuse to live as passive victims of circumstances beyond their control. They refuse to get tangled up in stuff that would cause them to betray their deepest commitments. They resolve to honor their deepest values and honor God. Now, in many ways, verse 8 is the hinge point of the first chapter. And in some ways, it's the hinge point of the entire book of Daniel. Everything turns at verse 8 because up until verse eight, it's the Babylonians who had been determining everything. Up until this point, they've been in the driver's seat. Nebuchadnezzar determines to conquer Israel. He determines to cart off its most sacred objects and its highest potential citizens. He determines to enroll them in his leadership academy. He decides on the entrance criteria and the subject matter. The dean of the school determines their names and their new identities and the menu. Uh, They'll be fed rich foods and wine from the king's table. And the easiest thing in the world would have been for Daniel to feel like he's just a passive victim of forces way too big for him. But from verse eight on, the initiative in this story shifts. And the writer shows this in a real colorful way. This is kind of hard to pick up in most translations, but the same verb gets repeated three times. Like a literal rendering of verse seven would be, uh, the chief of staff determined new names for them. He determined on Belteshazzar for Daniel and so on. And then verse eight, but Daniel determined not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. It's the same verb repeated over and over, but this time Daniel is determining. Daniel, the captive, the prisoner makes a decision. And the writer uses a real strong word for a quality decision it could be translated daniel uh, made up his mind or daniel resolved in his heart he would honor god he would not defile himself he just decides and now he's got to take action and so he goes to the dean of the school to talk about the menu he explains that everyone is being fed roast beef and eggs uh, they're on this like meat and potatoes diet, and he's into juicing. Uh, now, the text doesn't say why this food would defile Daniel. Maybe it involves ceremonial laws. Maybe it was offered to idols because it was uh, from the king's table. It's not real clear why, but it's clear that Daniel felt that he needed to draw a line. He needed to take a stand. And you need to know how much courage this took on Daniel's part. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was not the kind of leader who caught people a lot of slack. Uh, In 2 Kings 25, a king named Zedekiah uh, rebelled against him. Nebuchadnezzar captures Zedekiah and his family and had his sons killed before Zedekiah's eyes and then had Zedekiah's eyes cut out. The last thing that he saw were his sons being killed by Nebuchadnezzar and then he lost his eyes. You've heard of leaders with a hands-on management style or a hands-off management style. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had a heads-off management style. I mean, if someone crossed him, he cut his head off. That's who Daniel is dealing with here. But Daniel determines something. Daniel remembers his name. Daniel doesn't view himself as a helpless pawn of circumstances beyond his control. Daniel resolves in his heart. There's just this magnificent courage and initiative here. And then we'll see a lot of wisdom behind it spiritually resilient people are this way they resolve that they will honor God and then they figure out whatever it takes to do that. They don't accept it as an excuse that they live in forces that are too powerful for them to control. They seize whatever initiative is available to them. Now this is going to take some effort on Daniel's part. He goes to the Dean of the school and kind of makes his request. And the dean says, but if I say yes to you, you'll end up looking weak and you'll lack energy and the king will have my head. That's his answer. And now he start to see Daniel's uh, persistence and just kind of street smarts. Uh, Daniel says to himself, well, that's not exactly a yes, but it's not exactly a no. And so he goes to the guard who's kind of the next level down on the org chart and proposes an experiment. He says, let's try this diet for like 10 days and then you be the judge. Daniel exercises amazing initiative, courage, and faith that God will be at work, and God is. In fact, we see in verse 16 that the guard is so impressed with what Daniel, uh, what happens to Daniel and his friends that he uh, takes everyone's steak away and he puts the whole school on a vegan diet. And Daniel goes to the head of the class. He becomes the valedictorian but we need to understand this only happens because when everything looked like it was lost and he was up against very powerful forces, Daniel resolved in his heart, he would not get tangled up with anything that would cause him to betray his deepest values. He resolved in his heart, he would honor God. So let me ask you, do you have someone in your life where you're tempted to betray your values? A husband never intended to lose his family, but he decided it was okay to flirt around the boundaries of adultery, and now he's pulling himself from the wreckage of a broken marriage. He got tangled up in Babylon. A businesswoman decides that cutting an ethical corner here and there will make the ride to the top quicker, and now she lives with the fear that every everything around her might fall apart if she gets caught. So many people never intend to sabotage a marriage or a friendship. They just kind of drift into resentment or bitterness or revenge and it destroys their heart. Sometimes we get tangled up in more subtle enemies like a hurry or a success or a bad relationship. Maybe you see yourself as a helpless victim, a pawn of circumstances beyond your control, decisions other people made. And God is calling you to be like like Daniel. Make a resolution in your heart that will take courage and wisdom to carry out. You can do this. This is required for spiritual resiliency. This is required if you're gonna survive and thrive in Babylon. Please hear me on this. This is your one and only life. This is your day. What do you need to resolve in your heart? Do you need to end a relationship that's dishonoring God? End it. Make the call. Do it today. Do you need to repent of unethical practices in your business? Repent and set things right. Do it now. Do you need to seek first the kingdom of God by reordering your time? Reorder your time. Is there some area of your life where you need to pursue healing and you haven't been doing it because you've been seeing yourself as a victim and stop it and begin to pursue healing. Do it today. This is your day. This is your life. You must resolve in your heart. You must do this. And I'll tell you why so much is at stake here in the future. Daniel and his friends would have to make some very difficult decisions. There was one point where they were commanded to bow down and worship the king or be thrown into the furnace. And they said, okay, well throw us into the furnace then because we're not bowing down. When Daniel was told one day, cease praying to your God or you'll be thrown into the lions. Daniel says, throw me into the lion's den because I'm not gonna stop praying. See, if Daniel and his friends had not drawn the line here, had not declared to the world and to themselves where their deepest allegiance belonged, they never would have had the strength to face the furnace or the lion's den. Maybe you've gotten tangled up in things that have caused you to betray your deepest values and you're feeling the pain right now. Will you resolve today? I will honor God. I will not hand over this one and only life that God has given me to any power in Babylon, not to any person, not to any relationship, not to any job, not to any boss, not to any addiction, not to any force, not to any schedule. I will resolve in my heart that I will honor God. All right, we'll look at the second characteristic of a a resilient spirit in just a moment.
1: Did you know that the actor Idris Elba, who is 6'2", for anyone wondering, has a career of resilience? From 2011 to 2018, he was in films like Thor and Finding Dory, Star Trek, Pacific Rim, and of course, The Avengers. Things were looking pretty good for the actor and then in 2019 hit, and Elba was part of the disastrous film Cats. Cats, despite its Broadway fame, absolutely tanked and it became the butt of the joke in 2019. Now, we know that one bad movie doesn't define someone's career, but I imagine it was a bit of an ego uh, failure for Elba. Luckily, he seemed to be resilient, and he moved past the blunder. It's a joke, obviously, but we tend to only highlight our wins in life, and we certainly tend to only think about the wins of others when comparing our lives to someone else's. But life is all about resilience. Lionel Messi has made 24 World Cup appearances, but he's only won once. Stephen King was rejected by 30 publishers when he tried to publish his book, Carrie. And Michael Jordan famously noted that he has missed more than 9,000 shots in his career. He's lost 300 games and 26 times he's been trusted with the game-winning shot and missed. Jordan notes, however, that failure was in part a reason for his success. And this type of mentality, the need for resilience, isn't just rooted in our pop culture, but it's also rooted in the Bible. And I would go uh, so far to say that one, if not the major theme in the Old Testament, is this theme of failure, of wilderness, of journeying with resilience. The entire narrative for the Israelite people is this narrative of wilderness journeying and finding purpose with resilience. Individual characters like Noah and Moses, Joshua and Daniel, Ruth and Esther and Hagar are all stories of resilience. God, our God, is a God of resilience. And I hope that truth helps you open your ears to what Matt is helping us see today. I hope the truth of God being a God of resilience helps calm some of the anxiety some of you may be facing. I hope it helps you sit better into what feels like a season of waiting. I hope it calms some of the questions about why God is silent. I hope it brings fire to those who are tired and weary. God is a God who is resilient. And just like Idris Elba, we get to be a people who define our days around the idea of resilience. In a minute, Matt is going to highlight a few more points from the story of Daniel. And I want you to really listen. These points are action items. They should cause us to move and change some of our actions. So let us, in this newish year, not wallow in the sadness of our wilderness, but may we with energy and persistence lean into God and wander with action. And may we be a people who commune with a God of resilience. Let's rejoin Matt and hear about more things we can glean from Daniel's introductory story.
0: All right, the second characteristic of a resilient spirit is this spiritually resilient people take initiative. Believe me, I know uh, that on a subject like this, there will be people who have this thought that goes through their mind, and it may be going through your mind right now. Yeah, it's all well and good for you to talk about this, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know about the loss I've suffered. You don't know how unfairly I was treated in my job. You don't know how badly my upbringing was. You don't know the difficult person I'm married to. You don't know the kind of dreams that have never and will never be fulfilled for me. You don't know how much I've suffered. You don't know my problems. And you know what, you're right, I don't know. Like no one knows the unseen scars and wounds and hurts, the disappointments that mark the heart of anyone else. No one knows, I just know this. If you take nothing else away today, I need you to take this away. People who live with the habit of taking initiative live better lives than people who live with the habit of complaining. There is a choice and it's in your hands and you've got to stop waiting for something, some force, some circumstance, some job, some person to come along to rescue you. You know, when my daughters were younger, they loved princess stories. They had books with all the princess stories. They watched all the princess movies. I realized something as I was reading the story of Snow White to them one day. This is a horrible model for my daughters. Like here's this woman hiding from her stepmother because she feels helpless and afraid. So she takes a job doing menial labor for seven short cranky guys because she thinks she could never find more fulfilling work. And then she's just sitting around passively waiting to get rescued, singing like someday my prince will come. I want my girls to know, like never do that. If you're ever in that situation, you confront your stepmother face to face. You tell her to come to grips with the aging process. Tell her that you have no intention of being the fall guy because of her, her neurotic insecurities about fading sexual attractiveness. So go get a good therapist. Tell the seven short guys to get a life. I mean, if they can't handle the basic challenges of personal hygiene and housekeeping, they need to find some other codependent to enable their domestic passivity. And stop waiting for some prince to come around and rescue you. Like build deep relationships, find meaningful work, do good things, take big risks, serve the poor. And then when it comes to choosing a prince, let daddy decide who that prince will be. (laughs) When you face your Babylon, and you will face Babylon, maybe you're in the midst of facing your Babylon right now, there's a choice that you have to make. And the truth is you make that choice all the time, every day. It's the choice between taking action or complaining. It's the choice between life and death. It's a choice between trusting that God, that with God, all things really are possible or giving into defeat and despair. Maybe you're facing some major difficulty right now. You know, many of the things that we face in life are out of our control. Like you were handed some genetic material, you had no choice about that. You grew up up in a family of origin, for better or for worse, you had no no choice about that. You were plopped into a certain environment You didn't have a choice about that. But the writers of scripture say way down deep, deeper than your genes and deeper than your environment and deeper than your family, you were made in the image of God. And partly what that involves is the fact that somewhere, way down deep inside of you, you can choose. You can decide. You are a spiritual being. You are an immortal person created in the image of God and you can decide to take action or you can complain. And every time you make that choice, a small part of of your character and your spirit are affected. And every time you choose to complain, every time you allow Babylon to defeat you and cause you to quit, you make it that much more likely that the next time, it'll take less of Babylon to defeat you. And the next time, a little less than that, until one day, you don't even move. All you have left is just complaint. You have no initiative left in you, just complaint. I don't know what challenges you face. I don't know what your Babylon is. I don't know what burdens have been laid on your shoulders, but I know this. You are a child created in the image of God and his hope and his help is available to you. And I know that spiritually resilient people understand that the habit of taking initiative and trusting God leads to a better life than complaining and living in despair all right another thing is spiritually resilient people are committed to living in community they recognize that it's a life or death deal for daniel he found this in a small group that he formed with shadrach meshach and abednego and we're going to see these characters again but they really were kind of a small group they would go through school together. They studied and they prayed and they faced decisions together. They would one day face the furnace together. They would one day help to rule together. This one small group of of devoted believers would change the course of a nation. When you live in Babylon, you will not survive or thrive outside of community. You just won't. Julius Siegel, one of the primary researchers in this area of resiliency, writes this, Few captives suffered more than Vice Admiral James Stockdale, who served 2,714 days as a POW in Vietnam. On one occasion, his captors shackled his legs and arms and left him in glaring sunshine three blistering days while guards beat him repeatedly to keep him from sleeping. After one beating, Stockdale heard a towel snapping out in a code. The other POWs had devised a message he would never forget. It was five letters, G-B-U-J-S, God bless you, Jim Stockdale. Siegel writes that for these POWs, the briefest experiences of community, of being connected, became literally life or death for them. Their devotion and ingenuity to making community happen in spite of unbelievable obstacles defies belief. And you'll think I'm making this up, but I'm not. He writes, if one man was walking by another cell, he would drag his sandals in code to send a message. Men sent messages to their comrades through uh, the noises they made, shaking out their blankets, by belching or snoring or blowing their noses or bodily noises that I will not name that that are mastered normally by 10 year old boys. Uh, This is so ironic to me, where community is so difficult, people will move heaven and earth and risk their lives just for a moment of it. And in a world where it's so available, we often don't devote adequate time and effort to it. Community, deep friendship, spiritual intimacy, they don't come easily. You have to fight for them. So many times I'll talk to someone and they're struggling with some difficult problem and I'll ask them, like, are you in community? Do you have a small group of trusted Christian brothers and sisters that support you and help you and pray for you and give you wisdom? And so often they say, you know, no, I don't. I tried that once, but it didn't work out. Well, try again. Like, try as often as you need to. Make time for it. Pray for it. Reach out to other people for it. We have a number of groups starting at Blue Oaks that you can be a part of. Take initiative and get connected in community. All right, the last thing is spiritually resilient people remember that their life and even their suffering has meaning and purpose in the eyes of God. This is very interesting to me. Researchers say that the factor that causes people to give up most often is not that their suffering gets more intense. It's when they believe their suffering has no meaning or purpose. Again, researchers who study this sort of thing, they find that suicide notes rarely speak about failing health or rejection or finances or even physical pain. They say things like, there's no point going on. There's no reason for me to keep living. See, Daniel was about to discover something in Babylon that he would never know if he did not live his life in babylon if he had only lived his life in israel like he planned he would have never discovered this he would discover that there was someone who was at work in babylon see there's one character in the story besides daniel and his friends and nebuchadnezzar and his servants i want you to see if you can find his name we'll find out who this is uh, by looking backwards we'll start with verse 17. See if you can find the character whose name keeps getting repeated in these verses. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Verse nine, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Verse two, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand. Who is it that keeps getting mentioned? Yeah, it's God. The writer of this story is convinced that God is at work right from the start. He knows what many of the Israelites did not know. He's convinced that even the defeat of Judah and the loss of the temple that looks so tragic was not just a random meaningless event. God was not asleep. God had not broken his promise or forgotten his dream. God was up to something in Babylon in a place of great suffering. God, as it turns out, loved even Babylon. God, as it turns out, even cares about Nebuchadnezzar. Whatever you suffer this day or sometime in the future, God is there with you. God is with you. Like whoever you are, whatever Babylon you find yourself in. And I believe we'll see this in the coming months. God is up to something in Babylon. So resolve to honor him. All right, let me pray for you. God, I want to pray for all of us as we begin this study of the book of Daniel. God, I pray that you would help us to learn from Daniel, learn from his life, learn the way that he lived his life. He lived such a resilient life and we need this in our lives these days, especially for those of us who are living in Babylon. God, would you open our hearts and open our minds, open our spirits to what it is that you want to teach us. And I pray that you would uh, give us the courage and the boldness and the strength uh, of Daniel to live through the kind of uh, suffering and struggles and trials that we have to go through in this life. Give us the tools we need to, uh, uh, to conquer these struggles that we will face in this life. We look forward to what you're going to teach us and we look forward to how uh, our lives are going to be shaped and molded through this study. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. And we hope to see you on Sunday soon.